I am either shrinking or this booth is getting taller. <laughs> this morning I'm reading from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Please join me in a word of prayer, if you will. Father God, we just thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for who you are, that you are our creator and our God, but also that you are our Father, and that you care for us on an individual level, Lord. I thank you for this congregation. I pray for our time today, Lord, that as we open your word and as we approach your word, we would do so with humility. And also with the overwhelming feeling of your grace, Lord, and how you love us and how when you look at us, Lord, those who of us who are saved, that when you look at us, you see your son and the work that he did on the cross. I pray for this body, Lord, as we approach your word, that the words that they hear today would be the words from the Bible, Lord, and from the Holy Spirit. And that anything that I would say that would add on top of that would just fade away. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So good morning. What a pleasure to be here this morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Scotty Brown. Um, you know, in a, in a church and in this church, we have pastors and elders, which are, are basically seen as the same thing. And we have staff pastors and elders that are on staff, and then we have lay elders that, uh, you know, are bivocational, that have their own work, but also serve the church. And so I'm, I'm somewhat of like a lay, lay elder. <laughs> I, like to look, I like to think of myself, we, I see uh, Coach Guy Conti down here. I'm, I'm kind of, he, he was a bullpen coach at one time. I'm kind of like the call to the bullpen. So, uh, but... In all seriousness, it's, it's a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to be able to serve the church in this capacity. Um, as Joanna shared, 
our worship team is at the SING conference, but most of our worship team and also our, our senior pastor is also at the SING conference. So not only is it a time of great worship and uh, rich doctrine, but also there's, there's a lot of wonderful speakers that are there. And so really this kind of serves as a time that the staff can get away and uh, fellowship with one another and have a restful time, but also a productive time. And really, that's going to be a blessing to us all when they come back. They're going to come back filled up and have heard some wonderful things and some new ideas, and that will bless us all. So I'm, I'm happy to be able to come and serve and alleviate them to be able to go and do that. Um, today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. That's where our scripture reading was out of, so you can feel free to turn there. And we're going to start in verse 17, but just a little bit of background, you know, as a coming into a scenario like this where it's going to be a standalone sermon and you basically were, I was given the opportunity to kind of go wherever I wanted. And so that can be very overwhelming because um, <laughs> you, but also it's a good thing because then it, it, it immediately leads me to a time of prayer of, okay, where would God like me to go? And so we're in the book of Ephesians because I love the book of Ephesians <laughs> just as my personal preference. But it's, it's so rich. The epistles, all the epistles themselves, we just came out of the book of Philippians, are so rich. And I wanted to be able to, to come to a point where we start something and we can finish it, right? We don't, we don't want to start something and then leave everyone hanging. So hopefully we're able to uh, cover some stuff today. And come to a finality on that. And really the, the topic of this text, verse 17 through the end of chapter 4, is the topic of sanctification. So maybe some of you have heard that word before. It's a word that you probably only hear in church, sanctification. But really what sanctification is, is the process of becoming more like Christ. It's kind of like a pruning, uh, like you could look at like a sculptor. That would be sculpting their work, right, and just edging out the imperfections. Some of us need a little bit more sculpted away than others. And sometimes uh, maybe the sculptor thinks everything looks good, and they take a step back, and they see something that needs worked on. And so sanctification is that process of becoming more like Christ. We, it's important that we make uh, a clear delineation and, and talk about the differences between sanctification and salvation. So salvation is a one-time event that happens when you come to know Christ, right? You've heard the gospel, the Spirit drew you, and you decided to follow Christ and believe. And that's, that's a one-time event that happens. And we're thankful for that, amen? Right? We don't have to continue to go back and go back and go back because there would be a lot of going back, especially for me. But just because, okay, now we've had this one-time work that comes at different points in all of our lives doesn't mean that we're done at that point. doesn't mean that Christ is done with us, which we should be thankful for, right? So once from the moment of salvation, now you're going to enter into this point of sanctification, and the finish line is when you go to heaven, Right? which once again we can always be thankful for because God is never done with us, right? Amen. 
You know, there's times, there's been times in my life when, and even recently, that I've felt like a complete failure in everything in my life. And the one thing that I had to hold on to was knowing that God sees me as his son. And God has not given up on me. And the fact that I am a failure, he's going to make up the difference. Right? So it's, it's, you know, some people might look at sanctification in such a way of like, man, why do I got to go through all this work afterward? I thought I was done. Right? But let's turn that to the positive of that God's never done with us. Right? Because it's only for our benefit. Right? There's many... Christians that have that moment of salvation, and if you were to look at it like, you know, like a growth chart, it, it just kind of stays stagnant for a very long time, and maybe there's little blips, and we're going to see them in heaven, right? We believe that. The saving work of Christ is for them as well. It, does, it doesn't keep you from heaven just because you didn't pour into that process of sanctification, but if you do take part in it, if you do take that challenge, it's only to your benefit. Right? Christ, the work is finished for him. Right? We believe that Christ is in heaven now and his Holy Spirit is with us. And if we don't engage in that, it's not going to affect God one bit. It's only to our benefit that we continue in this process. And so just want to make that clear separation so that you know what I'm talking about because we can very easily drift into like a works righteousness type of theology where we think, oh, what we're talking about today, what Scotty's talking about today is all these things that I have to do to reach heaven. And that's that's not what we're talking about. As I will tell you that one of the great benefits to have the opportunity to teach is that when you know that you're going to have to stand up in front of a lot of people, you really want to dig in and do your homework, right? Right? It's easy to say, oh, well, yeah, I read that. And maybe you can take a little blurb from it. But if you're going to stand up and talk for a while, you, you should probably know what you're talking about. So as you dig into it, and this happens every time as I dig into it, that process of sanctification begins in me once again because God's word will work on you. And so I will tell you that as we get into this and as we talk about these things, please see me as your brother in Christ and that the Lord worked on me this week as we went through this. And overwhelmingly, the feeling that I had was just, being so thankful for God's grace. (laughs) We all need that, right? Not only his grace that brings us salvation, but his continual grace every day because we we make mistakes, all of us. So as as we get into this word, I hope that you feel that grace as well. So as we talk about sanctification, There's going to be three main points that we get into, and and even before getting into the text from the Scripture reading, we get a little bit of this, but the first point is going to be that doctrine always comes before instruction. 
Doctrine always comes before instruction. When we're talking about sanctification, doctrine always comes before instruction. Now, this is a theme of all of Paul's epistles that if you see at the start of of all of his letters, they always begin with very rich doctrine. And then if you look towards the end, he's giving instruction on, on ways to live that out. And that's really how it should be in our, in our own lives and as we go into this process of sanctification. And really, as we learn the Bible, we need doctrine before instruction. I continually keep saying doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. What do we mean by doctrine? I mean Scripture, more simply put. Scripture that backs up the instruction. Because it would be very easy for me to come up here, and this happens in churches all across America, and I could give you a lot of good things that would be helpful in your life. A lot of even core beliefs that I believe in myself, right? I could tell you about things, ways that I live my life and morals that I live my life by. And I could even probably pull out a couple of verses that would go along with that, right? Like, I believe I'm in uh, being on time. <laughs> that's, my wife will tell you, that's, uh, I'm almost religious about that. It'll upset me, right? I believe in having good manners. I believe in being kind to people, right? I, I believe in, in assuming the best in people until they show you a reason not to, right? Those are all good things. And there's even probably some scripture to back up those things. None of those things are going to save you. Right? None of those things are going to save you. And so I could come up here and I could say, oh, you know, uh, Jesus said that one of the, the greatest commandments is that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And so... We're going to take that and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about loving people and how we should love people. And I'm going to challenge you today and I'm going to put a a nice hashtag to it. Maybe we'll go viral. Hashtag pay it forward challenge Vero Bible Fellowship. And so we're going to show God's love to people that this whole week you're going to go out and when you're at a drive-thru or whatever, you're going to pay for the person behind you. And that's going to bring you happiness. And you know what, church, there's probably some truth to that. It probably will bring you some happiness, right? And there's nothing wrong with a lot of that. But it's not going to bring you joy, everlasting joy. That's a fleeting thing, right? So when we talk about what we should do, how we should live, how we should act, the instruction, we need doctrine, sound scripture to back that up. So as I said, the book of Ephesians always follow, or Paul's epistles always follow this similar pattern, pattern, and the book of Ephesians is no different. Doctrine then moves to instruction, and so the first three chapters of Ephesians are that doctrine. Some things you could probably think off the top of your head are just rich, rich doctrine, and it's, it's definitely worthwhile to go back and read that, Right? And hopefully one day we'll have one of these studies and we'll get our journals on the book of Ephesians because it's a wonderful book. 
But chapter 4 is where we turn the page into an instruction. And so that's really why we're here, why I feel like God has led me to this particular text, because now we can kind of, we can kind of wrap it up in, in a one-shot one kind of deal. So let's get into the text, beginning in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Now, in verse 17, Gentiles it isn't meaning in the traditional way of how we see, like, Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles means those who aren't saved. So, basically, what Paul's saying is don't live like the world, right? And if you notice, Paul comes right out and tells us why so many in the world do not choose to follow God. People come up with many reasons why they don't believe in God or don't want to follow God. They point to a lack of evidence or to their belief in a certain science or study. They make Christians out to be unintelligent or even foolish for believing in God. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, it says, But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So if we're looked at as being foolish or weak, I think we're in good company. But Paul tells us clearly why they don't believe or why they alienate themselves from God. If you look at the end of of verse 18, due to the hardness of their heart. Due to the hardness of their heart. Church is a great reminder that we can't save anyone. Let me say that again. You and I, we cannot save anyone. And that's a good reminder for us. It's by no power of our own or by some special gift that we can magically rescue people from hell. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So when we pray for unbelievers, a great prayer is that, that God would soften their heart. Right? That God would soften their heart. That God would open their heart. Right? Because God will certainly use us in that process. But it's not something that we can do on our own. So there's no, there's no magical thing that you're going to do or, oh, some scheme that's going to come up. But you can continue to pray. You can continue to be an influence in their life. Have patience. But ultimately, we can pray that God would soften their heart. That God would open their eyes. And that maybe we can have a part in that. 
Back to the text in verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, in verse 19, Paul is not referring to sexual sin specifically. When you see that sensuality and impurity, you know, sensuality in, in our vernacular is also often tied to sexuality, right? But in the New Testament, when we see any type of reference to sexual sin, we see the Greek word porneia. This word is, is the, the root word for pornography. That's where we get the word pornography for, from. And this word's really kind of a catch-all for all forms of sexual sin. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, incest. Porneia is a perversion of what God originally intended for sin. But in verse 19, that word sensuality in the Greek is asolgia, A-S-E-L-G-E-I-A. And the best definition for this word is, is carnal or carnality. So this is referring to our, our human nature and our nature to become wrapped up in things in this world. So notice what Paul is saying. The mark of an unbeliever or a true characteristic of an unbeliever is that they exhibit this form of carnality or worldliness. Simply put, it's a, it's a lack of self-control, right? So a lack of self-control and being wrapped up in these things, not being able to control your human nature is the mark of an unbeliever. And what Paul is saying is don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be this way. Don't let your, your human nature take hold of you and take control of you. So this should force us to examine our own walks. Once we've become saved, our salvation is secure in the work of Christ on the cross. As we talked about, we should celebrate that. But at the moment of salvation, as we begin this journey of sanctification to become more like Christ, we need to examine as we go along the sin that still lingers in our life. Not only should we examine the sin, but also examine our impulsive tendencies. The book of Hebrews Chapter 12, you know, at the end of, of chapter 11 of Hebrews, that's what's known as the hall of faith. And so the, the writer of Hebrews goes through all of these, uh, basically like the hall of fame of the Bible and how they exhibited faith, and he kind of talks about them in, in like a little blurb. So that ends and then goes directly into chapter 12, and it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by, by so great a cloud of witnesses, the witnesses are the hall of faith, right? They're watching on as we're living, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So weight and sin, we, we know what sin is, Right? But that's not what it says. It didn't say lay aside sin. 
It says lay aside weight and sin. Why is there a why is that made? Why is there a delineation made between weight and sin? Well, there's other things that will keep you from enduring in your walk, right? They might not fall into the, the category of sin per se, but they might be things that, that linger on that you hold on to from your former life that are going to keep you from pressing on, things that you might put your attitude and mind towards Impulsive tendencies that you have, right, that you go back to that are going to keep you from pressing on and enduring. So it's important that as we examine our walk and as we are in this process of sanctification that we work to leave those things behind, that we leave that weight behind so that we can endure. Because very easily weight can become sin. So if you want to hold on to, oh, but that's, I've always been that way. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's how my family is. That's a family tradition that we're that way. Well, if you, if you where does your allegiance lie in that? Do you want Christ to continue to work on you? Do you want to become more like Christ? Do you want to see the benefit of that, the joy that could come from that? Or are you going to hold on to this weight that can lead into sin? Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. But that is not the way you learned Christ. As I read verse 20 and read it this week, I realize what a profound word that is in that simple verse. This is so short and simple it could be easily missed, but let's read that again. But that is not the way you learn Christ. It doesn't say that's not how you learned Christianity or that's not the way that you were taught these rules and traditions. No, it says that is not the way that you learn Christ. You know, at the moment of salvation, what did you know as a new believer? Right? Church, we believe that at the moment of salvation, the work was finished in you as far as your debt being paid, right? You could have keeled over right there and you're in heaven. Right? And what did you know at that moment? You knew Christ. Right? The Spirit drew you. You came into a knowledge of who God is. And you decided that you would believe in Him and follow Him, and you submitted. And that is what you learned is Christ. How amazing is that? That Paul points that out. Notice in, in verse 20, though, it starts with but. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Why the but? He's making a comparison to the previous verse, so let's read them together. In verse 19, they have become callous 
and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Point two. Emotions cannot be a foundation of your walk. In this process of sanctification, emotions cannot be a foundation of your walk. Like I said, there's a lot of grace required as we read through this. And I would say I'm chief among you needed in that. But we, there's so many different ways that we can look at this, right? One, we should control our own emotions, right? We've talked about that a little bit in our human impulses. But as we, as we go through this process of sanctification, we should always keep that near the top of our consideration that we would control our emotions, that we would not react, right? If we go back to our Scripture reading, and it talks about growing up into mature manhood or womanhood, not being like children tossed to and fro, right? What's indicative of a child? They're very emotional, right? I have five of them, I'll tell you. My house... Is full of emotions at all times of night and day, right? And we expect that as we mature and that we, as we grow older, that we would not be that way, right? A child will be, will be emotional at any point. They, they don't have that self-awareness, right? And as you, most of us grow, we have control of our emotions, especially in in public places and when it's appropriate. But it's not what this text is saying, that we would contain our emotions at the appropriate times. It's that we would contain our emotions at all times, that we would not be impulsive, that we would not have a lack of self-control. And let me tell you, it's hard. It's hard in many ways. It's hard in anger. It's hard in your own sexual desires. It's hard in your speech, in your interaction with others. It's hard. It's hard on a daily basis to control your emotions, right? But also, emotions cannot be a foundation of your walk as we bring it into our church realm. We cannot have a faith that is based off of emotions. Your faith is not based off of how you feel that day or this day, right? And furthermore, when you come to worship or when you hear the word or things like that, you shouldn't feed into things that feed into your emotions, It shouldn't be about, oh, let me have this emotional feeling. I just feel good when I go there. It just makes me feel good. That's why I go there. 
right? Hey, if you come to this church and it makes you feel good, that's a great thing. That shouldn't be the reason why you come to this church, though. That shouldn't be the, the reason why you come to any church, right? You can have religious experiences that have nothing to do with God's word, right? It happens at church. It happens outside of church. I'm a, I'm a huge college football fan. I love college football. It's one of the few things that, you know, as you, you acquire more children, uh, things seem to fall by the wayside that you once did, hobbies and things like that. I don't have many left. But I love college football. I'm still on top of that. That's one. That'll, that'll be the last man standing. Right? I love it. Not only do I love to watch it, I love to go to the game. Right? There's nothing like the palpable atmosphere for me. Some oh, funny story. My wife used to come with me to the games. And the last one that we attended... Not knowing, but we purchased tickets in the student section, right? And I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings in here. I know there's several fan bases, but in this particular game, it was a blowout from the jump. It was like seven minutes in. It was 21 nothing. And we're in the student section. I'm telling you, it's like euphoria. Like, ah, just, ah. And then I look and I see my wife, and she's like <laughs> sitting down on her phone. She could care less, right? But I'm telling you, church, I've had some pretty euphoric feelings, as funny as it sounds, right? Some of you might feel that like a concert, right? Or just, man, everything's going right. Now, the music's just hitting right. You go back to that place when you first heard that song, right? There's many things that are of this world that can give you that type of religious, emotional experience. And so in church, we want that separation between what the world will give us and what Scripture gives us. Right? So if the Holy Spirit is moving, the Bible speaks of that, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, right? But it shouldn't be a foundational hallmark of your faith that you're driven by your emotions, right? What did we talk about in our first point? Doctrine comes before instruction. And so as you grow in your faith, as you start in this process of sanctification and continue in it, hopefully you move less towards that babe in Christ when you first came to Christ, and I'm sure that was quite an emotional experience, right? And you should have more of a foundation in Scripture and God's Word because that's what's going to continue to work on you. Because if you're just constantly seeking that endorphin hit once a week, there's no growth in that. Because if the band doesn't show up that week, right? You sure hope God shows up for you if the band doesn't show up, right? So we can't, oh man, church days, they all left us. We just sang hymns today. 
I guess my week's going to stink this week. You can't have that as a childlike attitude, right? We got to get into God's word and continue to grow in that word. Emotions cannot be a foundation of your walk because that is not how you learned Christ. Because that is not how you learned Christ. Because you weren't saved by great music. That might have been part of it. You might have been at a convention. It might have been wonderful praise and worship music going on. The Holy Spirit might have been moving. But that's not what saved you. The gospel saved you. The gospel is what saved you. And when we talk about doctrine, primarily what we're talking about is the gospel. Because all of the doctrine of the Bible leads back to the, to the gospel. And the gospel is in every book of the Bible. And as I say, I continue to say the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. I'm not just referring to the first four books of the Bible that maybe some people think of as, as the gospel. The gospel, the good news that God created a perfect earth and that man sinned. And so now that sin is on all of us and we are all fallen. And you don't have to look far in your life to recognize that if you're honest with yourself. But God didn't leave us on our own, that he sent his son to die for us. And he came down and he did it. He paid that debt and then he was raised. And now he lives. And that is what saved you, church. The knowledge of that is what saved you. And the knowledge of God and who he is is what saved you. And so as you continue in this process of sanctification, if you are going to continue to grow, the only growth that you are going to have is going to come from God's word. And things that are backed up by God's word. And I will tell you that I am not a great reader. I don't enjoy reading. I do read God's word from time to time. Right? There's times, hey, there's times where I, I bring this Bible to church. And then I go to find my Bible on Sunday and guess where it's at? It's in my car. So that's where it stayed all week. So I'm with you. But we want to set multiple layers of security for God's word in our life. We want to go, we want to hear preaching that's from God's word. We want to do Bible studies that's from God's word. We want to be around people that care about God's word, that will put God's word into your life. And yes, we want to read God's word and listen to God's word if you have that technology. But this is what is going to work on you. This is what's going to make you feel uncomfortable. This is what's going to prune you and cut deeper than you want to be cut. Because if we're just driven by our emotions, we're not going to go there. We're going to go to what feels good. So as we mature in our faith, the growth comes from Scripture. And I don't mean memorizing Scripture. Memorizing Scripture is a wonderful thing. But that isn't the standard that we're held to. 
knowing Scripture, growing from Scripture means that you know what the Bible says, and that is the basis of your faith. And the only way that your knowledge continues to grow is that you read it or listen to it or hear it. So if we go back to the the Scripture reading from this morning, verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We mature through the knowledge of the Son of God. And Paul warns us there that you can be tossed to and fro, and it's not just by the world. If you're not going to the right place to receive the word, you can be tossed to and fro by doctrine as well. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him, if you go back to verse 20, but that's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Christ, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, if you look at verse 22 that verbiage of put off your old self. In the Greek, that literally refers to taking off a garment. So you're taking off this garment of your old self. So we have the visual of you're taking off the old self and you're putting on the new self. So here's the question. Why do we, once again, we, you and I, do things that look like our former self? Why do we do things that look like our former self? Why do we hold on so tightly to the things of our former self or even entertain the things of our former self? Right, if we stick with this visual, and this is kind of a poor one, but I'm not an apostle. But if we stick with this visual, it's like if you if you just had this terrible, unhealthy life in every way possible, but you still had people that loved you. So they, you know, you had people that recognize you, have known you for a long time, and then you came into this knowledge of how to better take care of yourself, 
both internally and externally. And you started to be healthy and exercise, right? And you started to have more self-confidence and you started to better yourself, right? And as you've, as you've come into this new self, you've gained more confidence. You've, you've brought your, your body's in better shape. You went out and got these new clothes, and you're putting on these new clothes, and it's like, man, this looks great. You're standing in the mirror. You're like, well, I was just missing one thing. And then you go and you take your wife's lipstick, and you draw a big old red circle around your eye. And all right, that's it. And then you go walking out. What are people going to think about you? They're saying, man, he looks great, but what in the world is going on? Right? Because when you become something new, when Christ has done a work in you, church, I hope you believe that you're changed. Right? We believe that, that a change has happened in us. And now we are different as we go into the world. And those who knew us before, they can see that change, I hope. Right? Then why do you do stuff that makes you look like you're talking out both sides of your mouth? Why do we even entertain that? As I said, once again, when we talk about weight and sin, how weight can easily lead into sin, why do you even entertain things that are like your former self? Why do you talk bad about people? Oh, no one does that? Sorry. I'm the only one. I'll admit it. Why do you talk bad about people? Why do you talk down about people to other people? Why do you, why do, you do that? Why do you even entertain that? I don't know the female equivalent to this, so I won't speak for the females in the room. I'll speak for the men. Men, why, when you're driving by, when you're driving down the road and there's a great-looking woman exercising on the sidewalk, why do you linger on that look a little too long? I guess I'm the only one who's done that before too. Right? It's the truth. And it hurts. And I'm telling you, it hurt me. And it still hurts me. But it's the truth. Why do we do these things? Why do we even entertain these things? They're not going to keep us from heaven. But they will put a barrier between you and God and your growth. Absolutely. If you continue to entertain these things, if you continue to think, oh, well, I have a five-second rule when I pass a woman on the road. I just look for five seconds and that's it. Why? Why? You think God wants to work on that a little bit? Why do we, why do we even entertain, man, I can't wait. I can't wait to see John. I can't wait to see Paul and tell them about so-and-so. What I heard about that, I can't wait to tell them. You get excited about it. Man, we're going we're gonna to laugh so hard. Not going to keep you from heaven. But is that how we're supposed to act in our new self? That we would even entertain those things? 
So that leads us to point three. We must be aggressive in cutting out the sin in our lives. In this process of sanctification, we must be aggressive in cutting out the sin in our lives. Where are we at here? All right, I'm going to summarize for uh, the sake of time. But if, if you want to write down the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 16, and, and this talks about Saul, King Saul, and the Amalekites. And God, through the prophet Samuel, gave Saul a very specific task, that he would go to the Amalekites and he would wipe them out completely, that he would completely wipe them out. That was very clear. And so then Saul went, they defeated the Amalekites, and he didn't wipe them out completely. And so God says to Samuel, you want to talk about a profound word that you could chew on for a little while. God says to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king. God regrets something that he did. You can chew on that for a while. And we can read that and think, oh, wow, they, uh, that's cool. It's a Bible story. Maybe you heard it in Sunday school as a kid. How do you think God feels about you when you have clear instruction, when you've give, been given a clear purpose and you don't follow it through to the end? You don't go as deep as he wants you to go with it. We have to be aggressive in cutting out the sin in our lives. And it's different for everyone. Everyone deals with different things. Good thing about that is we shouldn't judge one another. Because <laughs> I could point out some things in my own life. Right? Most of you can as well. But when we're dealing with those things that we know that we struggle with, and we know we're a big, deep part of our former self, when we deal with those things, we have to be aggressive in cutting it out of our lives. Right? I will tell you that personally I don't have a struggle with alcohol. I've had some what, what the world will consider fun times. I've had some fun times in my life, Right? some things I shouldn't have done, but I don't struggle with it, okay? And many of you probably don't either. And so, you know, everyone is, has their own convictions, but, I'm, you know, if you have a beer or a glass of wine or something like that, you probably, that doesn't do anything detrimental to you, right? But some of us aren't that way, right? And furthermore, we don't want to be a stumbling block for someone else. Right? So, if you're someone who struggles in that area, you know it's very prevalent both in the church and outside of the church and other organizations. You don't go anywhere near that. You don't entertain that. You don't have those same friends. You don't go to those places. The same thing is true for all sins. 
whatever those sins are that you struggle with, right? If you formerly had a, a problem with pornography, you should probably shouldn't be watching anything that's on HBO. No matter how good the storyline is. Right? Is it going to keep you from heaven? No. But it can sure lead you down a bad path. And if you want to continue on this process of sanctification, if you want the joy that's on this side of heaven, if you want it to the fullest, you have to be aggressive in cutting out the sin in your life. Whatever it may be. We, we can't play around with sin. It's not, it's not a pet. It's not a, it's not a funny thing. It's not a joking thing. And so that's why a great reason why we come to church and why we surround ourselves with believers because then you have people that can come alongside you and help you in that, right? Now, we need to be in the world, but we need to be armored up as we go into the world. We do not need to just close these doors and keep everything else out. This is not a zombie apocalypse Right? We're not trying to keep ourselves from being infected. We have the antidote. We, we've, we know Christ. Amen? We're going to heaven. And we need to go out and assist him in getting more. Right? But, have you ever heard, this isn't biblical, but have you ever heard you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with? You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That's why I'm pretty immature. <laughs> no, but honestly, you're the at, like who who you consider who think about who you consider your inner circle, right? I pray that there's a, a number of believers in there. I'm very blessed that I have a wonderful family that I grew up in. And I have a wonderful family that I married into. And I have people that will come alongside me at many times in my life. And I have people that will tell me things that I do not want to hear. To my benefit. And 99% of the time, I don't listen the first time. And I don't want to hear it. And I'm very prideful. But we need those people in our lives. Those are the friends that you want. You're going to take off the old self, and leave it there. And you're going to put on this new garment because you're a new creation in Christ. And you're going to press on. And you're going to endure. And you're going to be in this process of sanctification so it's going to bring you more joy on this side of heaven. And you're going to do works for God to his glory. And the only way that that happens is that you are aggressive in cutting out the sin in your life. That doesn't mean that, oh, you're going to cut out all the sin and then no longer will you sin. That's not what it means. But it means don't entertain those things that you have a direct knowledge of. Verse 25, completing our text here, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry 
and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Excuse me. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but also, but only such as is good for building up and fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So what Paul goes through there really quickly, and there's probably a whole sermon in that last seven verses. But as Paul's going through very quickly, like I said, we started with doctrine even before this book began, and now Paul has given us clear instructions, right? This isn't like the Ten Commandments. This isn't everything all wrapped up in one, but there's some really good instruction in here, right? One thing that stands out, be angry, but do not sin. And that's, maybe that's foreign to us, right? But what Paul's saying is there's, there's righteous anger. There is such a thing, right? When we see things that aren't just, it's okay that that brings up anger in you. But that's not the way you learn Christ, that you would give in to your carnal way and have a lack of self-control. You have to have control in that. So be angry, but do not sin. When it says do not let the sun go down on your anger, some people take that literally, but really in this manner of speech is don't let that linger, right? It doesn't mean if, you know, if you're angry at someone and it's midnight, you got to go drive over their house and wake them up, right? But don't let that continue to linger because, you know, we can take hurt and anger and that very easily become a sin. And we can kind of like it. And we can kind of live in that. And it kind of gives us a little bit of a, something to talk about and some, something to kind of get behind. But that's not what God has called us to, right? And there's a pattern throughout here. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. We, you know, none of us would say, oh, yeah, I, I steal. I used to steal all the time. Steal, steal sometimes. Just for the thrill, right? That's not something that's normally indicative of all of us in a, in, a, in a way that we think. But do you rip people off sometimes? Do you take advantage of people sometimes? Right? You know, so often, you know, if we look back, we just went through Genesis, and we look at the fall, and very often we see the part that was given to the woman that you're going to have pain in childbirth and want to be like your husband. And that a lot of people know that and recognize that. That kind of comes to them quick. A lot of people forget what was given to the man that he would labor in the field all the days of his life, right? And so we have this natural inclination to not want to work or not do the hard thing. How can we get out of doing it? And sometimes we feed into that and we'll, in our dealings we'll rip people off. Well, you're stealing. That's your old self. And your new self, hopefully you don't do that anymore. And if you do, maybe that's something to chisel away at. So 
worship team, the worship duo, is going to come close us out. But as we close and as we look at this final part of the verse or of this text, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And when we began this text, we talked about God's grace. And, how, and I'm, telling, I'm so thankful for God's grace, and I hope that you are as well. And God's grace is over all of us who are saved. And so we're thankful for that. We want to live in that grace. We don't want to take that too far and take advantage of that. But also, make sure that you extend that grace to others. Both believer and non-believer, that you would extend that grace. It would be quite a shame if God forgave you of all that you did and the work that the Holy Spirit did and you could not extend that same type of forgiveness to others. And I think that's probably one that we all struggle with, right? So as the worship team, worship duo comes up, I'm going to lead us in prayer real quick. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your drawing that you drew us to you through the Holy Spirit, Lord. That you showed us your grace. And that you continue to show us your grace, Lord. This is a hard message to hear. This is a hard message to teach. This is a hard message to study. So in a selfish sense, I pray for myself, having heard this and studied it, that I would take these lessons and that I would continue to grow. But also I pray for this body as we come into this time that seems like a special time in the church. There's, there's a lot of things going on, transitions happening, things like that. But that a mark of this church is that we would be a church that is growing in the knowledge of you. That we be, would be a church that extends grace to one another and to unbelievers. And that we would be a church that approaches your word with humility and that we would take that instruction. In Jesus' name, amen.